According to ABC News, President Trump will sign an executive order today to investigate voter fraud. The executive order would create a commission staffed by Vice President Mike Pence and Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach to investigate election integrity. ABC News reports, quote, the commission, which will include Republicans and Democrats, will be tasked with studying vulnerabilities in U.S. voting systems and potential effects on improper voting, fraudulent voter registrations and fraudulent voting, according to one official with knowledge of the announcement. This is a fine notion. Voter fraud is indeed a serious problem that threatens election integrity, despite Democratic claims to the contrary. More specifically, the possibility of widespread voter fraud remains a problem, even though evidence of actual fraudulent ballots being cast is relatively scanty. As the Daily Wire has reported, in 2012, the Pew Research Center found the following. There were almost 24 million active voter registrations in the United States, either invalid or inaccurate. Almost 2 million dead Americans were still on the active voting list. 12 million voter records were riddled with incorrect addresses or other errors. Almost 2.75 million voters were registered in over one state. And it does not take widespread voter fraud to shift an election. The passage of Obamacare, which relied on the replacement of Republican Senator Norm Coleman of Minnesota with Al Franken, rested on a 312-vote recount margin in favor of Franken. According to the Minnesota majority, a conservative watchdog group, quote, at least 341 convicted felons voted in Minneapolis's Hennepin County, the state's largest. Another 52 voted illegally in St. Paul's Ramsey County, the state's second largest. Dan McGrath, head of Minnesota majority, says the only conclusive matches were included in the group's totals. The number of felons voting in those two counties alone exceeds Mr. Franken's victory margin. The same held true in 2004's Washington state gubernatorial election, with Democrat Christine Gregoire defeating Republican Dino Rossi by 129 votes. Some 1,400 felons voted illegally in that election, at least 55,000 ballots were enhanced, and the Secretary of State certified election results in at least five counties where more votes were cast than there were voters, according to Bob Williams of the Evergreen Freedom Foundation. A single vote cast illegally means someone else's vote has been canceled out. So it's about time we looked at voter fraud. With that said, the media will now attempt to quash any real investigation into voter fraud based on President Trump's wild overstatement of voter fraud during the 2016 election cycle. Trump announced after his Electoral College victory in 2016, he'd actually won the popular vote too, except for three million votes cast illegally for Hillary. He said, quote, you can never find, you know, they're going to be, no matter what numbers we come up with, there are going to be lots of people that did things we're not going to find out about. That's what Trump said in January, but we will find out because we need a better system where that can't happen. That means that Trump's rhetoric will once again smear a good cause and allow the media to reopen an idiotic conversation with Trump about whether he believes he won the popular road, and because Trump is pathologically incapable of avoiding a perceived slight, he'll take the bait. Get ready for two more weeks of talk about how Trump was actually jobbed in the popular vote, even though we should be focusing on the real necessity of voter ID and cleansing voter rolls. In order to draw Democrats, Trump is apparently including language about voter suppression, too, even though there's no proof of voter suppression across the country whatsoever. That will get Democrats on board and allow them to propagandize about how voter ID actually prevents people from voting. So... Bottom line, it's good that Trump is looking at voter fraud. It's too bad that Donald Trump is the one who's actually doing it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, it's you're in town, USA, because the leaks are everywhere. They're everywhere. Everything has opened up. The skies have opened. The leaks are pouring down. And now we have many theories as to why FBI Director James Comey was actually fired. But most of the evidence seems to support, you guessed it, my theory from yesterday as to why it is that James Comey was fired. We'll talk about all of that in just one second. But first, we want to say thank you to our sponsors over at PolicyGenius.com. So if you are somebody who is in need of life insurance, and let's face it, if you are alive and you have debt or if you're 
you're alive and you don't have debt and you're afraid that your family will have debt if you die, you need PolicyGenius.com. You can save over 40% on other life insurance policies when you go to PolicyGenius.com. They've placed over $5 billion in life insurance for people like you. I myself have life insurance. I think my company has life insurance on me as well. Uh, Good thing that I get along with my company so they can't kill me. But in any case, PolicyGenius.com will make sure you have life insurance. You should. As a responsible human being, you should have life insurance so that whether it's your spouse or your children or your parents, people around you aren't left financially unstable because of your death. And that's why you need life insurance. Go over to policygenius.com. They are the best online life insurance marketplace. They cut out the middleman. It's basically an open bidding system for people to give you the best policies. They have a licensed customer service team as well to help you find the best policy at the best price. And there's no interest in upselling. It's just about bringing you the best policy at the best price just for you. You're going to save over 40% off other life insurance policies. Go to policygenius.com today and get that 40% discount off other prices for life insurance because that's just what their competitive system does. Policygenius.com. P-O-L-I-C-Y-G-E-N-I-U-S.com. Policygenius.com. No jargon, no sales pressure, no hassle. And that's going to make sure that you have life insurance that you desperately need. And a huge percent, I think 30% of U.S. households don't have life insurance. That's absurd. You should have life insurance and you should make sure that your loved ones do as well. Policygenius.com. Okay, so... Obviously, the news of the day continues to be the fallout from the firing of FBI Director James Comey, and now we have leaks aplenty. So there are really two big stories that came out, maybe three, uh, that have come out full of leaks about Trump firing Comey. And one thing is, is absolutely clear. The original explanation for why the administration fired Comey just doesn't hold any water. So the original explanation was, you know, this Deputy Attorney General, Ron Rosenstein, he showed up 14 days ago, and then he decided, you know, Comey had to go. So he wrote us a memo unprompted in which he said that Comey had to go, and we took his advice, and we fired James Comey. That's horse manure. Everyone knew it was horse manure from the first day. The problem with rolling out a bad story is now it makes people believe the worst. When you say something that isn't true, it makes people immediately jump to the worst possible conclusion, as opposed to the more realistic but not-so-great conclusion, which is probably what actually happened. So it's pretty clear now that Ron Rosenstein was not the guy behind the firing. There have been multiple reports that Trump basically had decided to fire Comey last week, and then he called Ron Rosenstein and Attorney General Jeff Sessions into his office and said, come up with some sort of letter that's a pretext for firing him. And Rosenstein did what a good soldier is supposed to do. He wrote this letter. Apparently, there was a report yesterday that the DOJ is now denying that Rosenstein actually threatened to resign yesterday because he was so ticked off that the Trump White House seemed to be blaming him for Comey's ouster. Bottom line, this was handled about as badly as you can handle any issue like this. I was listening to Dana Perino and Chris Steyerwald's podcast, which is worth listening to. And Dana, who knows a hell of a lot about White House communications, she was saying the people she feels bad for in all of this are the members of the White House communications staff who were given about half an hour notice that this was happening, maybe, and then were forced to scramble. And then Trump gets pissed off when they don't have a good cover story which is his fault because he was the one who forced them to scramble. But the real question remains, why exactly was he fired? So the story from the White House continues to be he was fired because he did a bad job. So here is Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's supposed to be good at this, right? She's supposed to be better than Sean Spicer is. There are rumors yesterday that Trump hates how Sean Spicer has handled this, so he's thinking about firing Spicer too. Everybody is basically on the hook with Trump. If you do something he doesn't like, he'll fire you. All he demands is loyalty, which is one of the stories we'll talk about. There's a story that James Comey was fired because he refused to guarantee Trump his personal loyalty. In any case, here is Sarah Huckabee Sanders making an insane case as to why James Comey was fired. I think also having a letter like the one that he received uh, and having that conversation that outlined the basic uh, just atrocities in uh, circumventing the chain of command in the Department of Justice. Any uh, person of 
legal mind and authority knows what a big deal that is, particularly in the Department of Justice, particularly for somebody like the Deputy Attorney General, who has been part of the Justice Department for 30 years. So none of this makes any sense. First of all, you don't use the word atrocities about legal errors, okay? Atrocity is like for, uh, atrocity is for like the Holocaust or Mylai or Syria, gassing people. Atrocity is not, he went out in public and said something about about Hillary Clinton and Loretta Lynch. Like that, I'm sorry, that doesn't rise to the level of atrocity. That's just silly. The case that she's making is Comey's bad at his job. Yes, Comey was bad at his job. Guess who's been saying that for a year? Hmm? That's right, it was me. So, I've been saying for a year James Comey is absolutely crappy at his job, but the question isn't why he was fired, the question is why he was fired now. And the answer clearly is not something that happened last July, so that story has no veracity whatsoever. Jake Tapper presents another story, so now you've got a bunch of anonymous sources leaking. And here's the thing to know about anonymous sources. They're anonymous. We don't know who they are, and we don't know what their agenda is. And we don't know whether they have any specialized knowledge as to why Comey was fired. We don't know whether they're speaking from personal knowledge of what's actually going on in the investigation, or whether they are speaking based on speculation at the FBI. Uh, you know, anonymous sources are useful and you have to use them in journalism because a lot of people are afraid of speaking with their name on the record because they're afraid that they're going to get fired for it. So anonymous sources are common use. But the problem is when you have a thousand anonymous sources coming forward, you sort of have to take everything with a grain of salt until further information is confirmed. The media is not doing that. Jake Tapper yesterday reported what an anonymous source had said about why Comey was fired. Now, if this is true, then Trump will be impeached. OK, but if it's not true, then where is it even coming from? There are two reasons why President Trump fired Comey. One, Comey's refusal to provide the president with any sort of assurance of personal loyalty. And two, the fact that the FBI's investigation into possible Trump team collusion with Russia in the 2016 election, that that's still not only an active investigation, it's actually accelerating. So basically, the theory here is that Comey wouldn't provide Trump with his assurance of personal loyalty. You could see some of that in Trump's letter, right? The idea that Comey had told him that he was off the hook three times, but that he wouldn't go out publicly and say that Trump was off the hook three times or even one time. So that is actually, there's some veracity to that second claim is the one that matters. And that's the one Democrats are hopping on today. This is the Democrats coming out and saying that the decision to fire Comey is really about obstructing the, the Russia investigation. Now, here's the part that's crazy about this. There's an entire FBI out there that's still doing the investigation. There's no evidence whatsoever that the investigation will actually be quashed. In fact, what Trump has now done is he's brought more focus to the investigation, not less focus to the investigation, either through incompetence or stupidity or because he didn't care. But whatever the, whatever the bottom line is, more people now care about the Trump-Russia investigation than cared about it two days ago. So the idea that he killed the investigation is just silly, Towns. Now, there's a lot of call for a special prosecutor. Special prosecutor, I think, is a bad idea. The reason a special prosecutor is a bad idea is because once you put a special prosecutor on a case, the special prosecutor will stay there and dig and dig and dig until they find something, whether or not it is really related to the key components of the story. So Kenneth Starr will continue to dig on Clinton until he comes up with Lewinsky. And Patrick Fitzgerald will continue to dig on the Valerie Plame scandal until he comes up with Scooter Libby, who's not even involved in the Valerie Plame scandal. You put a special prosecutor on this thing, and that person will just dig and dig and dig and dig until they come up with something that is not even related and just cast a cloud of suspicion over everything. The, the best possible outcome here is for Trump to appoint somebody at the FBI who's considered sort of bipartisan, who isn't going to be just a Trump lackey. If he appoints Chris Christie or Rudy Giuliani, people are going to scream bloody murder as well they ought. Uh, if he appoints somebody like 
Mike Lee was suggesting Merrick Garland, who, as you recall, was was Barack Obama's last Supreme Court nomination. If you appoint somebody who has credibility with Democrats, it's going to be very hard for Democrats to make the claim that this was all a giant cover up, a crazy attempt by Trump to to kill the Russia investigation. But Democrats are out over their skis today. They're trying to push for impeachment without any sort of evidence. Here's Richard Blumenthal, a guy that that. Trump is now calling, I guess he's, he's saying that he's a, he, he accused him of lying about his, his war service, uh, which is true. Um, but Richard Blumenthal has become sort of the bete noir for, for Trump. And here he is, Senator from Connecticut, talking uh, to Anderson Cooper. It is a looming constitutional crisis because it involves a potential confrontation, as did Watergate, between the president and other branches of government. And it may well produce another United States versus Nixon on a subpoena that went to the United States Supreme Court. It may well produce impeachment proceedings, although we're very far from that possibility. And right now, the president has not been charged, and there is a investigation underway, which should be given the kind of integrity and independence that it deserves. Okay, so he's way out over his skis here, talking about Nixon, talking about impeachment. This is not like Watergate. Okay, in Watergate, Richard Nixon fired the special prosecutor who'd been set up in order to investigate Watergate. And then the attorney general, he, he basically said to the attorney general, you fire this guy. And the attorney general said, no, I'm not going to fire this guy. And then he went to the deputy attorney general and said, you fire this guy. And he said, I'm not going to fire this guy. So Trump, so, so Nixon fired all three of them. And the bottom line is that it's, it's uh, the bottom line is that this is not like that, right? I mean, the attorney general and the deputy attorney general both recommended that Comey be fired. Again, this is not obstructing the investigation by any evidence that I can tell. Yet the Democrats are still going nuts over this. Cory Booker, who has presidential ambitions, he's going crazier than anybody else I've seen. Senator from New Jersey, uh, say, great, great screenshot there, guys. He's saying that saying that uh, the Russians are coming. Uh, Donald Trump clearly has not taken this seriously. In what should be a Paul Revere moment for our country, where people are talking about the Russians are coming, uh, they're intending not only to attack pe- this past election, but intending to continue this behavior, what will our response be? And right now, it's been wholly unsatisfactory so- from this administration. Okay, so this still leaves out the question. Again, he, he has no answers as to what exactly he suspects is going on or what evidence he has that any of this is happening. Basically, the Democrats are making hay while the sun shines. They see that this is an opportunity to bash Trump, and so they're going to go ahead and do it. I will say that there, there are basically a few different stories today as to why it is that Trump fired Comey. And all of them agree with my theory yesterday. So my theory yesterday, to restate, was that Trump fired Comey because he was pissed at Comey. That simple. He was angry at Comey because Comey wasn't coming out and just saying that Trump was innocent in the Russia investigation, even if other people were still under investigation, like NSA Michael Flynn and uh, former campaign manager Paul Manafort. So he's ticked at Comey for not doing that. It now appears that he was also ticked at Comey because Comey was not taking his wiretapping crap seriously and he wasn't investigating leaks or whatever. And so he felt that that was a misuse of resources and he wants an FBI director who's going to who's going to try and track down all of his conspiracy theories about the Obama administration. Again, should the FBI be spending time on finding out who leaked the name Michael Flynn to the press? Absolutely, they should. And so I don't think that's completely unfair. But for Trump to get angry at Comey because Comey was not paying attention to his stupid wiretapping allegations, that's absurd because they were stupid wiretapping allegations. But that's exactly what the Washington Post is reporting. Quote, Trump had long questioned Comey's loyalty and judgment and was infuriated by what he viewed as the director's lack of action in recent weeks on leaks from within the federal government. By last weekend, he had made up his mind. Comey had to go. The president had already decided to fire Comey, according to this person. But in the meeting, several White House officials said Trump gave Sessions and Rosenstein a directive to explain in writing the case against Comey. The president had already decided to fire Comey, according to this person. And uh, bottom line is uh, they decided that they were going to 
come up with this pretext for, for firing Comey. But what actually pissed off Trump? One, Comey was on TV too much. Two, Comey refused to say that Trump was innocent. Three, Comey wouldn't provide his personal loyalty guarantee to President Trump, which is just insane. The FBI director should never be forced to provide a personal loyalty guarantee to any president. That is not his job. Again, all of this reflects badly on Trump. None of it suggests that Trump is actually in the pay of the Russians or in collusion with the Russians. Now, with that said, there's a media report from the Wall Street Journal that really is kind of a bombshell. It says, in the weeks before Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, a federal investigation into potential collusion between Trump associates and the Russian government was heating up as Mr. Comey became increasingly occupied with the probe. Mr. Comey started receiving daily instead of weekly updates on the investigation, beginning at least three weeks ago, according to people with knowledge of the matter and progress of the Federal Bureau of Investigation probe. Mr. Comey was concerned by information showing possible evidence of collusion, according to these people. So this would be the biggest bombshell, of course, is the idea that there's actually something dirty going on and Trump covered it up. All we have have this anonymous source saying that Comey was concerned about that, but we don't have any evidence that that was actually happening. There's also a report from McClatchy today that the FBI led probe into whether Russian influence operations helped put Trump in the White House is on the knife's edge and could easily veer into either of two distinct directions. One possibility is investigators will feel galvanized by Trump's abrupt firing of FBI Director Comey and burrow even deeper into the probe. Or with the FBI temporary rudder, temporarily rudderless, Trump loyalists in the Justice Department could put the brakes on the investigation in multiple ways. So all of this does not speak well of the way that this was done. Again, none of it provides evidence that all of this was done. There is a bigger problem here, by the way. And the bigger problem comes in that same Washington Post piece, this deep, long piece about why Trump fired Comey. And it was buried down in the piece, and it's actually a big story. It says, quote, Many employees at the FBI said they were furious about the firing, saying the circumstances of Comey's dismissal did more damage to the FBI's independence than anything Comey did in his three-plus years in the job. One intelligence official who works on Russian espionage matters said they were more determined than ever to pursue such cases. Another said Comey's firing and the subsequent comments from the White House are attacks that won't soon be forgotten. Trump had, quote, essentially declared war on a lot of people at the FBI, one official said. I think there will be a concerted effort to respond over time and kind. This is dangerous. When the intelligence community, Trump's been saying this for a long time, and he's actually right about it. When the intelligence community decides that it is their job to take down Trump because they don't like what Trump is doing, that is dangerous, and that is a problem. And the fact is that two things can be true at once. One, Trump handled the Comey firing absolutely badly. It looks really a lot worse than it probably is. And two, the intelligence community does not have the, the wherewithal to begin saying that we're now going to oust Trump because we don't like what he did to Comey. Okay, that's dangerous. That is a branch. That is a coup. That is, a, that is an attempt inside government to get rid of the sitting president of the United States, and that is unacceptable under all of these circumstances. Well, I want to talk more about this. I want to talk about the fallout and why this actually matters for the Republicans. Why shouldn't Republicans just blow it off, say this is overblown, say this is silly, this is just Democrats talking too much? Why Republicans should take this seriously over at DailyWire.com. So $8 a month gets you a subscription to DailyWire.com. You can watch the rest of the show. If you sign up right now, you can be part of the mailbag. We'll be taking live questions in the mailbag today. Plus, if you get an annual subscription, you get a free copy of The Arroyo, Jeremy Boring's fascinating film set on the southern border. It's a modern action western about a rancher trying to protect his property from drug cartels using his ranch as a thoroughfare for drugs and human trafficking. You can check it out over at dailywire.com. Or if you just want to listen to the podcast later, go over to iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a listen and a rating. We always appreciate it. Make sure that you subscribe. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation.
So bottom line is this is a mess of Trump's own making, and it was made because Trump is impetuous, because Trump is volatile, because Trump does not have a great personality for president of the United States, and because being in the private sector does not always translate over well into being in government. Trump is apparently said to be kind of puzzled as to why there's so much blowback, given that the Democrats hate Comey. The answer is because when you're in the private sector and you don't like someone, then you use Trump's catchphrase, right? You just go, you fired, and that's it. They're done. And there's no blowback. You run the company. That's not the way the government works. When you fire the FBI director who has to have a certain level of independence to do his job, there will be blowback. Trump doesn't get that. Trump still doesn't get that. And that's going to be a problem for him. And then Trump exacerbates the problem because Trump has yesterday. I mean, this is just such stupid optics in every way. And it doesn't matter to people who are in love with Trump and think that everything Trump does is just a heartbreaking act of wonderful genius. Uh, All the people who think that he's playing 8D underwater backgammon. You know, all, all of this routine is, is, is silly to me. There's a whole group of people who just see the headline, and the headline is Trump under investigation by FBI over Russia, Trump fires head of FBI. Right? Very easy to sum that up for the left, and a lot of people, that's their only takeaway. And it doesn't help when then Trump has, in his office, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, in the Oval Office on Wednesday, just hours after firing Comey. And then he also has Russian ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, who, as you recall, is known to be a Russian intelligence asset. And that's why it's a problem that he was talking with NSA, former NSA Michael Flynn. Why did Trump have these people in? Presumably because Putin specifically asked him to. A White House spokesman said of Trump's Lavrov meeting, quote, he chose to receive because Putin asked him to. Putin did specifically ask on the call when they last talked. But this was even stupider than that. Okay, so when Trump had Lavrov and Kislyak into the Oval Office, this is according to the Washington Post, a photographer for a Russian state-owned news agency was allowed into the Oval Office on Wednesday during Trump's meeting with Russian diplomats, a level of access that was criticized by former U.S. intelligence officials as a potential security breach. They can't actually know whether they were bugging the office. No American press were allowed in. There were White House photographers. No press was allowed in. The Russians said, we want our official photographers, but their official photographers are actually the Russian press agency. The officials cited the danger a listening device or other surveillance equipment could have been brought into the Oval Office while hidden in cameras or other electronics. Former U.S. intel officials raised questions after photos of Trump's meeting with Sergey Lavrov were posted online by the TASS news agency. He was told they weren't going to be posted online. They were posted online. The White House played down the danger. They said that the photographer and his equipment were subjected to a security screening before it entered White House grounds. But apparently, the administration also said that Trump was really pissed that all of this went down the way that it went down. The administration official said, quote, we were not informed by the Russians that their official photographer was dual-hatted and would be releasing the photographs on the state news agency. So in other words, the Russians were allowed in to photograph, but the American press was not allowed in to photograph a meeting between Trump and the top-level officials in the United States from the Russians on the day after he fired the FBI director who was in the middle of investigating a probe on Russia. Do I think that Trump had these people in and said, Hey, guys, pretty great, right? I just fired the FBI director. Now we're cool. Do I think that's what happened? No, of course I don't think that's what happened. I think that's silly. But I do think that Trump, a guy who understands TV, a guy who understands narrative at a very root level, he should understand the optics, and the optics here stink. Okay, the optics here are really bad. It's not great when you have video of Sergei Lavrov trolling the media about the Comey firing, which is exactly what happened yesterday. Breaking news, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson meeting with Russia's top diplomat, Sergei Lavrov, at the State Department right now. Let's listen in. I want to uh, to welcome Foreign Minister Lavrov to the State Department and express my appreciation for him making the trip to Washington for the continued our dialogue and our exchange of views that began in Moscow with the dialogue he hosted on a very broad range of topics. 
Thank you. Does the Comey firing cast a shadow over your talk, gentlemen? What's the fire? The U.S. Yes. You are kidding. You are kidding. <laughs> so there's Sergey Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, trolling the American press. You're kidding. You're kidding. Okay, and then they go into the, the meeting with Trump. And then, amazingly, Trump does these pictures, and the pictures are released by the Russians, not even by the White House. They're released by the Russians of Trump yucking it up with the Russians. Does this look good? No, it doesn't look good. Okay, it looks ridiculous. Imagine for a second if the exact same situation had happened. Obama promises flexibility to the Russians. It turns out there's suspicion that Obama was coordinating with the Russians in the 2012 election. And then he has Sergei Lavrov and Sergei Kislyak into the Oval Office and only lets the Russians photograph them. Do you think Republicans would be happy? I understand why Democrats are mad. I also understand that Democrats need to wait for evidence before leveraging allegations like this is clearly evidence of collusion and a cover-up because there's no evidence of any of that yet. A lot of this is going to come out with time. Mike Flynn is supposed to testify in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee next week. James Comey is supposed to testify in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee next week. We're going to get a lot more information over time, but everybody is jumping to conclusions way too fast. Dan Rather, you know, and the, the media are leading the charge, of course, because they want Trump gone. It's obvious that the media are, are invested in this being the end of little Trump. And so here is Dan Rather, who for some reason is still being trotted out as a legitimate news source, despite the fact that he was responsible. He's the godfather of fake news. This is the guy who trotted out the fake memo saying that George W. Bush had gone AWOL when he was a member of the Air National Guard. Uh, and he, the, and uh, here is Dan Rather saying that the Comey firing is obviously a cover-up. Look, it's no secret about what's going on here. As several people have already pointed out, what's going on here uh, is an effort to cover up the facts. Why they're so desperate to cover up the facts, we do not know. And Pat Buchanan responds, and I mean, I hate Pat Buchanan. I think Pat Buchanan's an anti-Semite. But here's Pat Buchanan saying exactly what's correct here, which is that the media are trying to bring down Trump without proper evidence. There's a cultural left and a political left and a media, if you will, a conglomerate. It's not a conspiracy, but it is collusion. And they were determined to break and bring down Nixon from the day he was nominated, they determined, tried to break and bring, and they succeeded, tried to break and bring down Reagan over Iran-Contra. I was in the White House then. And the same forces, similar forces, are trying to break and bring down Trump. It is transparent. It's right in front of us. I mean, you can't... It's true. Okay, what Buchanan is saying here is true. And the, the Republicans are right to say that the Democrats are trying to bring down Trump here. And they're right to say there doesn't need to be a special prosecutor. Chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, Richard Burr, who is not exactly a full-on Trumpkin, uh, Richard Burr says there's no need for a special prosecutor here. The future of that investigation. Does that imply an obstruction of justice, the possibility of obstruction of justice here? No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. But I don't think that, uh, uh, I, I think that the timing and the reasoning uh, incites people to believe that there's something that's being covered up. I'm not in favor of a special prosecutor because I think that the committee can carry out its responsibility, can come to a conclusion. Okay, and this is basically right. The problem with a special prosecutor or an independent counsel, as people have said, is that it creates serious problems within the executive branch. Justice Scalia wrote an opinion back in the 80s in which he suggested that Independent Counsel Act was unconstitutional because all of the people in the executive branch work for the President of the United States. When you have somebody who doesn't work for the President of the United States out on his own mission, then you end up with the possibility of conflict. The President has the right to fire people under the constitutional structure. If Congress wants oversight, Congress can damn well take oversight. And so Richard Burr is basically correct. Now, that said, I think that it's a mistake for Republicans to tie themselves too closely to this one. Paul Ryan is saying that Trump made the right move. Ryan is obviously staking the future of his speakership on Donald Trump being an effective leader and president, and that seems to me to be a mistake given what we know. 
Well, I think the president uh, lost patience, and I think people in the Justice Department um, lost confidence in uh, Director Comey himself. And I think the president was looking at a situation where you had senior Justice Department officials losing confidence, and he does not want to see the FBI in disarray. He wanted to see the FBI up and running and moving well. And I think Director Comey kind of became an issue himself. And so it's obviously within the president's authority and role to do this. I think he made a, an important command decision. That's the decision that is in his right to do it. Uh, and now let's go forward. Let's get a capable person to, to replace him. And let's just make sure that the men and women there at the FBI keep doing their jobs. Yeah. That's the way I see it. So, okay, so Ryan is think? basically you know, nodding along because he thinks that if he treats Trump nicely and doesn't point out that Trump botched this, this firing, uh, that it's that he'll he'll somehow get in good with Trump. The problem with all of this is, as I say, if we look only within our box, if we on the right look only within our box, and we say, how do people on the right perceive this? People on the right perceive this as blown out of proportion. Of course, Comey should have gone. Who cares when Trump fired him? He needed to be fired. What's the big deal here? People on the left don't perceive it that way. And more importantly, people in the middle, middle don't perceive it that way. So before any of this broke, Quinnipiac University has a poll. Now, the Q poll, the Q, Quinnipiac University poll, has been biased against Republican in the past. Um, but that said, this poll is suggesting a D plus 16 on the generic congressional ballot. That means that 54% of respondents say they want to see the Democratic Party take control of the House of Representatives after the 2018 midterm elections, compared to 38% wanting Republicans to maintain the House. People hate the House Republicans. They think they're doing a crappy job. They think that the Senate Republicans aren't doing a much better job. 50% of political independents polled would rather see Democrats win the House compared to 37% wanting Republicans. Actually, 9% of Republicans say they want to see Democrats take over the House, while only 2% of Democrats want to see Republicans maintain the House. If Republicans can't get anything passed, and right now Trump's botch of this makes it very difficult for anything to pass, they're going to have a serious problem on their hands. And if they keep tying themselves to Trump and Trump ends up being toxic, they will lose the House and Trump will be impeached in the House because that will be the first thing Democrats do. They'll move to impeach President Trump immediately based on Comey, based on the emoluments clause. They will move on him as fast as Trump said he moved on married women. I mean, they will move fast on him. And it will not be, a, it will not, it will, day one, they'll move to impeach him if they take back the House. Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, looking to impeach the sitting Republican president is not a good look. Trump better get his crap in order. And remember, right now, we should have spent this entire week having debates in the Senate over how to make the AHCA, the American Health Care Act, Trump care better. We should have spent the entire week doing that and then talking about tax reform. Instead, nothing. And the problem is, there's another week lost. The Senate has no incentive now to give Trump what he wants on American Health Care Act. There are a lot of Congress people who have no incentive to give Trump anything remotely looking like a right-wing agenda because there are a lot of them who are vulnerable. The more of Trump's credibility he blows on stupidities like the Comey firing, the more it's going to be difficult to get things done. And if things don't get done, then Republicans will lose the Congress. You know, it, it's not going to matter how much Republicans call Democrats hypocrites. So Trump tweeted out a video of Democrats tweeting, uh, trashing Comey. Yesterday, here's what that video looked like. Uh, Comey acted in an outrageous way. Uh, I think he should take a hard look at uh, what he has done. Uh, and I think it would not be a bad thing for the American people if he did step down. And finally, do you believe that uh, Jim Comey should resign, Senator Reid? Of course. Did you yeah. want to see him gone? So it's absolutely true that Democrats have been very critical of James Comey, and many of us did call for his resignation. It's hard to be a director of such an important institution. Tweeted this out, and this is supposed to show that they're all hypocrites, and then Sarah Huckabee Sanders comes out, and she says the Democrats would have been dancing if Hillary had fired Comey, and here's what she had to say yesterday. Look, I, I, I think I just answered that, that is that, that is, he, I was asked if this was something he came to on his own. Uh, that's my understanding. This is something that uh, as coming in 
to this new position and being the person that would oversee the deputy or the director of the FBI that would be part of this process uh, to do a review and to make a recommendation based on that review and that's exactly what he did look I think one of the biggest things that isn't being talked about and it's being ignored is that Democrats uh, would be dancing in the streets if Hillary Clinton had won she would have immediately fired James Comey and the very people that are this is true but it doesn't matter one iota because the situation is a little bit different now the situation is that Trump is under investigation by whomever is the FBI director it doesn't matter the Democrats hate him firing the guy who's the FBI director well Trump or at least team Trump uh, are under Russian investigation uh, investigation about Russia uh, is not a good look and it's really really stupid so Republicans should take this seriously Republicans should obviously uh, look at this with care uh, and then they should act accordingly because they could get themselves in a lot of hot water here okay time for some things I like things I hate and then we'll do some mailbag so Things I like. This week I'm doing things I like about things I hate, which is basically this entire week of news. Um, I've been amused by it, but it's been pretty terrible. Uh, things I like. This today, uh, the, one of the things the Democrats like to forget about the Vietnam War is that after the Vietnam War, after the United States pulled out of the Vietnam War and the Viet Cong overran Vietnam, Pol Pot in neighboring Cambodia also took over the country and proceeded to slaughter a million people in the Cambodian genocide. In the 1970s, there was a movie made called uh, The Killing Fields with Sam Waterston, uh, and it is an excellent film about a reporter who decides that he's going to actually go and investigate what's happening in Cambodia. It's a very conservative film. Again, what's amazing about this is that at the time, people understood what was happening in Cambodia was not only terrible, but that the United States is pulling out of Vietnam was directly responsible, at least in part, for what happened there. Yet today, you have people like Michael Moore cheering on America pulling out of Vietnam. The left still sees their protests against Vietnam as morally superior. This film shows just how awful pulling out from Vietnam actually was, particularly for the people in the neighboring country of Cambodia. Cambodia. To many Westerners, it seemed a paradise. Another world, a secret world. But the war in neighboring Vietnam burst its borders, and the fighting soon spread to neutral Cambodia. In 1973, I went to cover this sideshow struggle as foreign correspondent of the New York Times. It was there in the war-torn countryside amidst the fighting between government troops and the Khmer Rouge guerrillas that I met my guide and interpreter, Dith Pran, a man who was to change my life in a country that I grew to love and pity. This is a big story, a major story. You understand that? We have got to get down there. The war keeps going like this. The future could be very bad. All right, I've arranged for the evacuation of you and your family. So now it's up to you. What do you want to do? In a country shattered by war. U.S. bombs, you sure? I think many, many died. I don't know. And torn by revolution. After what the Khmer Rouge have been through, I don't think they're going to be exactly affectionate toward Westerners. Two men would learn the price of survival. They say that when this place goes up, they think that a lot of people are going to get killed. Of freedom. Change my photograph for a photograph of Pran, and he's a British subject. And friendship. All foreign journalists are going to leave Cambodia. I won't leave you. I try to escape to Thailand right now. Basically, the film tries its best to try and cast it as though the United States' involvement in Vietnam was also partially responsible for this. The bottom line is that when the U.S. pulled out of Vietnam, it also pulled whatever resources it was providing to the people, the government of Cambodia, and two million Cambodian citizens were killed. This was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director. Uh, Watterson was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, the guy who you see there, I think his name is pronounced uh, Hang S. Nagore. He ended up winning the uh, the Best Supporting Actor uh 
Award at the Academy Awards. It's a forgotten film, but it actually is quite a good film and worth watching. It's a good reminder of what happens when the United States pulls out of places around the world where we are providing strength to the regimes that need strength. Okay, time for a thing I hate, and then we'll get to the mailbag. So yesterday, the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, who for some reason has become this 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 kind of lightning rod for the left. They hate Betsy DeVos because she stands in favor of school choice. She was speaking at a graduation, uh, and uh, a bunch of the graduates turned their back and started booing her. This was at Bethune-Cookman University. Trustees, thank you so very, very much for this great honor and privilege. I am honored to become a wildcat. And it's a real honor and privilege to be with you as we celebrate the Bethune-Cookman University class of 2017. At the same time, uh, really just disgusting. The dean interrupted the education secretary's speech, and he said that if the behavior continued, the degrees would be mailed to them. Uh, they don't look like people who have actually earned degrees. They look like people uh, who have never heard a word with which they disagree in their entire lives. When I graduated from UCLA, the speaker was Antonio Villaraigosa, a person I consider to be mentally deficient. Okay, Antonio Villaraigosa, the former mayor of Los Angeles, is a guy who failed the bar four times. Antonio Villaraigosa is a dum-dum in every, in every available aspect. I did not boo him. I did not turn my back on him because hearing ideas from people with whom you disagree is okay, but not at these universities. Targeting Betsy DeVos, I mean, for goodness sake, this isn't even one of the more controversial members of the administration. Betsy DeVos is like a lady who just wants people to have money so that they can send their kids to private schools if they want to. Just insane, but it demonstrates the level of intolerance on America's college campuses. Okay, time for some mailbag. So let's jump right in. And if you have questions, we'll take them live over at Daily Wire as well. So Hi, Ben. Who do you think is the most underrated U.S. president and the most overrated and why? Most overrated is easy. FDR was clearly the most overrated president. FDR was actually a horrible president on the economy. He ended up prolonging the Great Depression by eight years. His war leadership was, was late but good up till the point where he signed the Alta Agreement, which essentially divided Western Europe uh, and Western and Eastern Europe. So FDR, clearly the most overrated president of all time, easily second most will probably end up being Obama in time. Most underrated U.S. president, I'd probably have to go with uh, Calvin Coolidge. Um, the, on the right, he's not underrated, but Calvin Coolidge was a person who was not interested in making a big splash. He was known as Silent Cal because he didn't like talking to the press. He basically saw his job as, I'm going to come here, I'm going to do my job, and then I'm going to leave. Uh, and he ended up presiding over one of the great economic booms in American history. Uh, he was also somebody who, uh, who understood the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence. Read his speeches. Super articulate guy. Uh, there's a reason that Ronald Reagan was a big fan of Calvin Coolidge's. Okay, Tyson says, for May 4th, I have the most important question. Can a lightsaber cut through Wolverine claws? Why or why not? May the 4th be with you and your crew at the Daily Wire. I think pretty clearly a lightsaber can cut through Wolverine claws. Um, you know, I'm, I know that they exist in separate universes, um, but I, I'd, be, I'd be shocked if it couldn't. I mean, it's, it's sort of hard to explain why, considering that you're comparing apples to oranges in a certain sense. But it would be real weird if Wolverine could actually just fight off a lightsaber, right? If Wolverine was just like, and then the lightsaber sort of stopped, I just, I, I don't buy it. Okay. Uh, Travis says, hey, Ben, where do you draw the line in the Second Amendment? How do we distinguish between arms and artillery? Thanks. Well, first of all, you have to be able to bear it, right? It, it says you have to bear arms, so you don't have a right to an attack helicopter. Um, as far as the drawing the line in the Second Amendment, as many Second Amendment jurisprudentialists have said, and the fact is that every amendment to the U.S. Constitution, including free speech, has limits to it. Uh, the idea that you have to, um, that, that free speech is unlimited, obviously free speech does not cover me saying to Mathis, 
Mathis, let's make a plan to kill Austin tomorrow, um, which is why we keep those sorts of conversations between us. But in any case, the, the same thing is true of the Second Amendment. You don't have a right to a nuclear weapon, uh, and it's really less about the type of arm than it is about the type of restriction. So that means that you, know, you have a right to an AK-47, but that right goes away the minute that you are convicted of a crime, because now you cannot buy that anymore, uh, and that seems reasonable to me. So yes, there are gradations here, but to say that the gradation does not extend to hunting rifles uh, is, is, seems to me very silly. Matthew says, hey, Ben, love your show. Do you think the government shutdown, which closes all non-essential departments, would be a good idea because of those departments? are considered non-essential, why should they be cut from the budget if they are not important enough to keep running during the government shutdown? Uh, they should be cut from the budget, and I've always been in favor of Republicans embracing a government shutdown by saying, listen, here are our spending priorities. If Democrats don't like it, they can shut down the government, and the American people might actually get used to the notion that they don't need the government so much, right? I mean, the last time the government shut down, was there a zombie apocalypse in the street? No, there wasn't. Not much happened. Everybody lived. It was actually such a non-event that Barack Obama had to manufacture controversy by shutting down public parks in order to make people feel the feel the pain. Patrick says, if the worst is revealed about Trump and Russia, will that mean Trump has destroyed the Republican Party? Uh, if it turns out that Trump actually colluded with Russia, that or, or if Manafort colluded with Russia, or Flynn colluded with Russia, and it is traced all the way up to the top, or about as far as it goes, uh, it's going to be serious trouble. Republicans lose the House in 2018, they lose the Senate and the presidency in 2020, and you're looking at Kamala Harris as president, with a House led by Nancy Pelosi and a Senate led by Chuck Schumer. Good luck, gang. And if all of that was worth Gorsuch, uh, so we can only hope and pray that that's not the case. Um, and uh, I don't think that there's any evidence of that yet anyway at all. Okay, Hillary says, Hey, Ben, I'm a huge fan. I'm a devoted member to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm Mormon. We have a commandment called the Law of Tithing where we donate 10% of our earnings to the church, which will fund our church, buildings, temples, Book of Mormons, etc. Obviously, you don't lose your membership if you don't pay your tithing, but it's one of the many qualifiers to go to the temple, which we believe is the most sacred place on earth. As a fiscal conservative, is it hypocritical of me to dislike socialism and communism, even though the church's tithing process parallels those ideologies? No, because there's a difference between the government mandating that it's going to take your stuff and you voluntarily opting into a religious belief and that you want to go to the temple, in other words. Okay, I'm not sure that you want to sign your check to the IRS. So, no, I mean, we have tithing in Judaism as well. And it is not socialism and it is not communism because it is not government mandated. There is a difference, obviously, between a religion in which you choose to participate and a government cramming down things on you in which you don't choose to participate. Ian says, I know flag desecration is not really a hot topic, but with the newfound interest in doing so as a reaction to Trump becoming president, I want to know whether you think it should be illegal to do so or if it should be tolerated under the First Amendment. So I don't actually believe that Johnson versus Texas, uh, which is the case that said flag burning is protected by the Constitution, is rightly decided. I don't think that flag burning is protected by the U.S. Constitution. Now, do I think there should be laws against flag burning? No, I don't think there should be laws against flag burning. Uh, I think that they're kind of silly and counterproductive, and all they end up doing is granting a certain level of moral superiority to people who are pieces of crap who burn the flag. But that said, is it were the founders thinking that they definitely had to protect flag burners when they wrote the First Amendment? No, because there's still certain symbols of the United States that are considered sacred, uh, and it is not out of the realm of possibility to suggest that you have moved beyond that. So, for example, there, the First Amendment does not cover people who seek to actively overthrow the United States of America. If you seek to actively overthrow the U.S. Constitution, that is not protected by the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Josh says, hi, Ben. My question has to do with health care. If you were president, what would your solution be to the current health care crisis? Would you take the idea of health care completely out of government, or would you use the government to make health care better overall? I would take the government completely out of healthcare. I would transition it, though. So I would try. The problem is somebody has to fill the gap for the people with pre-existing conditions who can't cover themselves, or the people too poor to cover themselves. Or, but what we actually need is a, a, a healthcare and health insurance are not the same thing. Conflating the two ends up being a problem. 
What you actually need is a higher supply of healthcare providers. You need more doctors. You need more surgeons. You need more nurse practitioners. You need more people who are providing competitive healthcare services. The only way to do that is the same as it is in every other good or service in the market. You need higher incentives. So you need people competing to spend their dollars on these things, and you need people competing to take those dollars, and that generates better product at lower prices. That is going to solve the so-called healthcare crisis. The vast majority of healthcare inflation has been created by lack of competition in the marketplace through guaranteed monopoly by the government and heavy restrictions on the number and, and type of people who can go into the healthcare industry. As far as the, who picks up the people who are between the cracks, theoretically, that's what charity and religious community are for. Um, if they can't do that, then you talk about local government picking up the slack, but that's up to local government, not the federal government. Zach says, hey, Ben, what's your response to someone who would argue that killing animals for food is immoral? Uh, I don't believe that killing animals for food is immoral because I think that human beings uh, have a right to survive, and I think that human beings uh, need animal protein in order to survive as a general matter. Now, I'm, I'm, I have to admit that this is one area where I myself ha- argue, because I I've, I've, you know, don't like to see animals mistreated. Uh, I am not in favor of animal cruelty. Some of the farming techniques that are used, uh, while it's great in terms of preserving humans and, and preserving human life is more important than preserving an animal life, some of the farming techniques that I've seen are disturbing to me. Uh, I don't think that killing animals for food is immoral. Uh, that said, if there's an alternative source of, of protein that's available, uh, I don't think that that's the worst thing in the world, and I'm sort of divided on it, to be honest with you. It's one of those issues where I sort of go back and forth because I also enjoy eating meat. Uh, Chris says... Should the executive branch have the authority to suspend certain constitutional rights in times of crisis? For example, Abraham Lincoln suspending habeas corpus at the start of the Civil War on the grounds that it protected the guilty more than the innocent. If it should, where do we draw the line? Uh, No, I don't think that the executive branch has the authority to suspend certain constitutional rights in times of crisis. Uh, As a general matter, I think that the Constitution applies during times of war. I think that if the framers thought that you could violate constitutional rights during a time of war, then they would have written that into the Constitution of the United States. They don't. They say you have these rights, um, and therefore the rights are sacrosanct. You know, with that said, I think that people broadly construe the right and then have to pare it back during times of war, and that I think is a mistake. But every time somebody does this during a time of war, you end up with a problem. Whether you end up with Fourth Amendment problems under the Patriot Act or whether you end up with First Amendment and and basic freedom problems under Japanese internment in World War II or habeas corpus, uh, all of this is uh, is a problem. If the society can't exist without locking people up, without telling them about the charge, uh, then the society has bigger problems than that. Um, Okay, final question. Jenna says, Ben, one of my best friends was born and raised in Jakarta, Indonesia. I spent four months with her traveling around Southeast Asia. I personally feel as though I witnessed many events that have made me feel negatively toward Islam, especially the harsh treatment toward women. However, despite the fact my friend is a Christian, she defends the Islamic religion devoutly. How is it possible for people immersed in the culture to be blind to the evils of Islam and the necessity of reform? When you live in a system, any system, it is very difficult to say the system needs reform. This is true for all systems. People have an inherent interest in preserving the systems with which they grew up, the systems in which they believe. And so they are always going to whitewash those systems. It is the obligation of every moral person to determine what are the moral precepts in which they believe and whether those moral precepts are indeed more valuable than the systems to which they profess allegiance. And if you're not willing to stand up against those systems when those systems come into conflict with your principles, then you have become a lackey of the system. And that is a deep problem for anyone in any system religious, non-religious, governmental, political. It just it, that's the truth across the board. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the week. More breaking news than we can share with you every day, but we'll be back here on Monday to tell you about all the latest developments. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 